Okay, got all that out of the way. Now we're going to talk about our message for today, which is the gospel. The gospel, right? Now, I have to confess, as I've been thinking about it and praying about it and going through this, I feel like maybe I've tricked you. You may remember if you were here a couple weeks ago when we kicked off the series, I said, oh yeah, we're really going to we're going to focus on Galatians. We've been talking about topics and themes and kind of going through those, but we're going to really focus on a book of the Bible here. And, and that's true, but I kind of tricked you because Galatians really has one central topic and theme. And that's the good news. And so we're really going through this series about the good news. As it says here, I almost wonder if on our slide we could have flipped Galatians in a new gospel life and had Galatians be sort of the subtitle and new gospel life be the title. Because that's really what we're talking about, and we're just using Galatians as this way to sort of frame it and talk about it. And so, as we like to do, we like to just give like a, a quick overview of what is the gospel. Some of you are here kind of going, a gospel? Like, that's kind of something? I don't know what that is. Well, here it is. We've got a couple versions of it for you today. Here's the first one. We've shown this a bunch of times, right? You start with this, and God has a design and my sin has broken that design and landed me in this world of brokenness. And from my brokenness, there's all these things I can try to do. I can have good deeds. I can have religion. I can have pleasure. I can have philosophy. I can do all kinds of stuff. I can, I can watch the Broncos game or whatever I think it is that's <laughs> going to get me out of brokenness. In the end, I end up back in brokenness. Right? And so God has reached out to us. The only way we can have a right relationship with him is that he reaches out to us. And so he does in the person of Jesus Christ who comes to earth, lives a sinless life, dies and takes the penalty for our sin on the cross, rises again and gives us the opportunity. And so this is a free gift and all we have to do is to turn and believe it. And in doing that, God's grace works through us and gives us the opportunity to recover and pursue his design. And that's really the gospel. Now, if you want a more in-depth Version. It's right here on the whiteboard. And this has a bunch of verse references, and it talks about really this same thing in sort of a more, more detailed perspective. And so you're definitely welcome to come up and take a look at that. Or um, If you are new and you've never heard this before, and you'd like to know more about it, you probably have seen on your Connect card this little box that says, I'd like to know more about having the right relationship with Jesus. And if you check that, I'm going to contact you. Because I'd love to share that with you. So don't be afraid. I'll, we'll just grab a coffee or something and I'll, I'll share it with you. I'd love to do that. Um, and so we'd love to talk about that more. But we're talking in this series about the gospel. And so we've learned some things about the gospel. What about the gospel? You may have uh, a note page. Hopefully it's got passed out to you. You've got pen, pencil or whatever. You can take some notes if you want to. Or you can, you can scribble and do doodles and draw pictures or whatever you want to do. you got a piece of paper in front of you. So anyway, the first thing, what about the gospel? What have we learned about the gospel? <clears throat> Something I alluded to just a few minutes ago is that the gospel brings us reconciliation with God. I think most of us, all of us, probably realize at some point in our life we come to this realization that I am not reconciled with the creator of the universe. My sin has landed me in that realm of brokenness. And so the gospel is unique. Is it's the only thing that really brings us reconciliation with God. Second thing we've really learned is that the gospel is also 
about God working in us by His grace. Remember that in the circles, recover and pursue? That's God working by His grace in us. We're not working to be closer to God. God is working in us, right? And the third thing we've learned, and this is a theme that keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and we're going to see it again today in the passage that we've read, is that the gospel is easily corrupted. And how is it corrupted? Well, we're giving you these equations. We'll show them again. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And when you add Jesus and nothing, you get everything. But when you take the gospel and you add something to it, or you subtract something to it, Jesus plus something, or Jesus minus something, you get nothing. And so that's really the framework of the gospel. That's sort of a review of what we've learned so far in the past couple of weeks here. And so today we're going to talk about how the gospel does all of these things, and the gospel also brings us together. I know a lot of you uh, go through life, and if you're like me, you feel like, man, there's a lot of disunity in the world. And the good news, the gospel, gives us an opportunity for unity. So we're going to learn about that today. We're going to start in chapter 2 of Galatians. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn in it. If you've got an electronic device with a Bible app, that's another good place to go. You can pick from one of a hundred translations. So here we go. We're going to read it together. I encourage you to read along with us. Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul talking. He says, After an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, and what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. So that's our passage. So how does the gospel give us unity? How does it bring unity to diverse people? Well, we're going to look at kind of three main points today. And hopefully there'll be something for you to, to take away from this. The first one is we're going to talk about Titus. 
So Titus walks into the situation. Titus becomes a poster boy for the gospel's inclusivity. I think that's kind of a funny term, poster boy. Maybe he's a poster man. He's probably old enough at that point. But what do we know? What do we know about Titus? What do we know? Is this guy, is Titus, he shows up, Paul brings him along. Big deal. Why does he bring him along? Well, here's what we know about Titus. First, Titus was a Greek, not a Jew. Now, if you don't really understand this, you go, big deal. So what? He was like one kind of person and not kind of another person, right? Well, you've got to realize the context of what was going on in the Christian church, right? So Jesus had 12 disciples, and all of them were Jews. And so they had all of these, they had these opportunities, and they began to see people saved, and uh, Peter was, was preaching, and thousands were converted, and all of these people who were converted there in Jerusalem were Jews. And we had the day of Pentecost, right? In the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost happens, and uh, the Holy Spirit descends, and Peter preaches, and all of these people from all of these different countries who are there in Jerusalem get saved, and they recognize the gospel, and they accept it. But what are all those people? They're all Jews, right? Or they're converts to Jew. They may not be Jew by race, but they're Jew by faith. And so here comes Titus, and he walks into the situation where their world has been all Jews. And so there was no sort of issue up until that point, and so Paul brings him along. Now, what else do we know about Titus? We know that because Titus was a Greek, he did not conform to the Jewish ceremonial law. Paul had expressly kind of maintained that. And that's part of why Paul brings him along, is because he didn't conform to that law. Now, we also know this. Titus was saved by faith in Christ alone. Well, that's really, really important because that's the only way any of us get reconciled to, to God is through faith in Christ alone. So, we know that this had to have been true. We know that Titus was saved this way because he was so close to Paul. As we look at the sort of the history of Titus and we understand about him, he was, he was so close to Paul, he was sort of like, a, it's almost like a secretary to Paul. He was his close friend. And then he went on these missionary journeys. We, we know from the records he went to Corinth and was a missionary there. And then he went on to the island of Crete and was a missionary there and was helping to plant churches and raise up pastors. And then eventually we know he went on even further to Dalmatia, which is modern-day Croatia and Bosnia, as a missionary. And so we know that Paul would not have allowed that or sent him if he had not been saved by faith in Christ alone. And then Paul actually echoes it. He writes a letter to Titus. We have that in the New Testament. And he, he says this. I thought I did. Maybe I didn't have it. I've got it. In Titus 1.4, he says to Titus, my true son in our common faith. So Paul even addresses him that way in the letter. So we know that Titus was saved by faith in Christ alone. So how does Titus become part of the gospel's inclusivity? Well... He was not compelled to be circumcised. So he shows up in this world of these Jewish guys who have come to know Jesus Christ and they're teaching the gospel and Paul says, all right, this is a, a test. And so these apostles in Jerusalem accepted Titus. They didn't make him do other things. So Paul brought him as a test case. Interestingly enough, 
one of Paul's other great sort of friends, traveling companions, younger man, disciple who he had poured his life into is Timothy. And we read elsewhere in the New Testament that he did have Timothy get circumcised contextually because he was reaching out to Jews in that situation, and so he knew he had to do that with Timothy. But he didn't do that with Titus. And so he didn't bring Timothy with him to Jerusalem to talk about this. He brought Titus because this is expressly the thing that he wanted to talk about. And then Titus was accepted by the Jewish apostles. Those guys reached out and they accepted him. And they didn't make him conform to the law. They didn't say, oh yeah, it's the good news. We'll ask something else. They said, yeah, it's the good news. And so they accepted it. Now, interestingly enough, you go, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about this and I was like, Titus is an adult. Like, we're going to have him be circumcised? Like, can we do that to adults? Like, don't we just do that to kids, right? I have four sons, right? And, and most of you know, sort of standard medical practice in the United States. Um, usually it's offered or suggested or encouraged when you have a baby boy that they be circumcised there within the first few days of when they're born, right? And so, to me, it just seems kind of, like, strange, right? That, oh, we, we take, a, like, a grown man and circumcise him? That sounds really uncomfortable. Right? In fact, I imagine it is really uncomfortable, right? And so as I was looking this up, this, uh, even this week, I came across there's, there's actually, um, the Jews still practice this. That if somebody converts to Judaism later in life, or they're in a situation where they can't be circumcised, or in their culture where they're not, when they're young, and there's this opportunity when they're older, there's doctors who perform this. I found an article, the title of the article was, Never too late for a circumcision. <laughs> and that's fine. I, I have no criticism for the Jews. I love the Jews and, and, and their faith. I think it's great. Um, but why do they do that? I mean, in some ways, actually, Abraham. Abraham was circumcised as an adult. We see other instances of adults being circumcised. And even though it sounds painful, why? Why is that done? Well, to Jews, circumcision is a symbol of being clean before God. It's a symbol of cleanness to them. But, in this case... ...corrupted. And so perversion of the gospel has always been a major obstacle, and it always will be. A major obstacle. Let's remember that as we go along. And so what are some things we see today? What are some modifications of the gospel? Well, I think they come in a few forms. One of them is, you know, we talk about Jesus plus something. It's that adding. What are some things that are added, right? So we know John 3.16 is about belief. And so we repent, we have faith, and we confess. Now, in some churches, you want to add a fourth thing. They say, and be baptized in certain way. Now we can talk about baptism, we're not going to have a discussion about baptism today, but that's one thing to say, well, we've seen principles of that in Scripture, and so we really think that this belief includes that, and so then they end up in a situation where they go, well, you've got to be baptized in this way, in this place, in this time, that these people are, you're not saved. Well, John 3.16 doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Paul didn't teach that. That's not the gospel. 
Some people will add something else in as well. Sometimes they'll say, oh, it's, it's being part of a specific church, being part of the true church, whatever that is. Right? There's some who uh, will say, oh, you've got to speak in tongues a certain way. You've got to be sort of filled with the Holy Spirit in a certain way. So you repent, you have faith, you confess, and you, you uh, do this other thing that has a physical manifestation. Well, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see that. That's not the gospel Paul was teaching. People throw in all kinds of crazy stuff. You've got to abstain from alcohol. You've got to live in a certain way. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got to do certain things. Those things might all be fine and well and good, but those are not the gospel. That's not the good news, adding those things in. And then there's some who like to subtract things from the gospel. They sort of say, Jesus minus something. Well, Jesus minus something also equals nothing, right? And I think a lot of times they're motivated by this, this hope that they're trying to be friendly. We want to be friendly to people who haven't heard the good news, and so we want to take out some of the things that are really kind of hard about this message. Well, what's hard about this message? We talk about this in our class. There is bad news in here. The first bad news is that there's sin. And sin separates us from God. Well, there are some churches who like to say, yeah, belief is this, but let's, let's say, well, not all sin is really bad, or sin doesn't really have a consequence, or... It's really not something to be worried about. Like, Jesus just loves you. You just do these things, and we don't have to really worry about sin. And so they kind of get rid of the doctrine of sin, right? Then there's another one. It's another part of the bad news. Physical death plus spiritual death equals eternal death, which is in hell. Hell is some bad news, guys, right? Some people don't want to talk about hell. But they want to say, hell is not eternal. It's just kind of a, a thing maybe some people kind of have to go to. And um, Interesting, I was talking with Rich. Those of you who don't know, Rich is a, one of our pastors, and he helped shepherd that, uh, that group that's meeting in uh, Franktown this morning. And um, even as he, they were reaching out to people, there was somebody even just this week who he was talking to, and that's most church background. And the guy said, well, yeah, I go to church. I is. I'm a Christian. I believe in the good news, but uh, I don't believe there's a hell. Like, wow, okay, so that's, that's going on. And in fact, that's just one example. There's even churches within walking distance of where you're sitting right now who've gotten rid of the doctrine of sin, who've gotten rid of the doctrine of hell. They sort of ignore the bad news because they just want to focus on kind of the good news. But you can't have the good news without the bad news. Because Jesus minus... Something is nothing, right? Now then there's some other kinds of ways that people pervert the gospel that aren't additions and subtractions, right? I think what we really have a call and we really see it as, as Paul walks into all these different cultures there in the book of Acts and the other apostles and they're going to these places and there's an adaptation, not of the essence of the gospel, not of this, but there's an adaptation of what we do to the place that we are and to the people that we're reaching. But sometimes people can over-adapt. And in over-adapting, they can focus so much on pleasing the crowd that they lose the message. They lose the good news. There's other people who go into places and they under-adapt. They ignore the culture. They ignore the people who are around them. They become insensitive to their neighbors. They're insensitive to their geography. 
that are not fruitful. There's others who pervert the gospel by being elite. They say, this is the place, man, this is it. Man, we just really try not to do that here at the Firehouse Church. We recognize that God is at work in a lot of different places. As long as we stay with those essential doctrines, we can have views on some of these other things. And that's okay, and we can be united, right? So, that's how people mess up the gospel. How do we get and how do we keep the unity of the gospel? Sort of the focus of what we were trying to talk about today is that the gospel could unite us. And understanding that there's difference and there's, there's different places and people and things, we got to recognize that God has placed, the scripture is very clear, people have different gifts, people have different callings, we have to recognize those things right there in our passage in verse 7, Paul says, I have been entrusted with taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and Peter and James and John, they've been entrusted with taking the gospel to the Jews, and understanding that they were both taking the gospel to different people, and so they were adapting that message and, and their methods as they went. So part of that is to adapt. They have to adapt without losing the gospel. It can be so easy. It can be so easy right here in the Highland neighborhood to try to adapt what we're doing to what's around us. It would be so easy to stop talking about sin, stop talking about hell, say, no, life is really good, and you just got to kind of have... Jesus is, is one more thing to add on to your, your row of all of these things you've accumulated in your life, in your cars, in your houses, in your jobs. And forget the fact that we're broken, that we need reconciliation with God through Jesus. So we've got to adapt without losing the gospel. And the third way is we can cooperate with and support others who proclaim the gospel despite our differences. And some of that is, is externally with other churches, right? A lot of times, I, I, I meet a lot of different people and find out people go to different churches and they've checked out different churches and you come in here and you're new and you're trying to find where God's leading and stuff. It's great and there's lots of great churches. I'll help, you. I'll help point you to some of them because I know some of the guys who run those and they're really good. And some of them were just different than us, and that's fine. I think of some examples. I have a, a friend um, I've gotten to know. He's a Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave over in Arvada at a church. And he's not quite old enough to be my dad, um, but he's older than me. And some of their doctrines that I know of, that he, he's talked about, or I, I see kind of on the wall in his church, and I go, well, I don't really agree with that. I don't think that's, that's not really what we see in the scripture, but when I talk to Pastor Dave and we talk about the gospel, he's fired up and he gets it and he understands that's what's essential. And he's even said, oh, you know, I, I really see in scripture there's a, a need for infant baptism, but you know what? Nobody else, not everybody else sees that. And that's okay. I still love you, Greg. I'm for you and I'm praying for you. And so we have a unity. Pastor Dave and I have a unity even though we have differences because we're both proclaiming the gospel. I think there's another pastor I've referred to before, Pastor West. It's a missionary Baptist church over in Stapleton. And uh, I got to go visit there a few 
weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, and I, I was the only person with this light color of skin in this congregation. And they had different methods. They had different ways of doing things. They had different songs. They had different ways of teaching the message. And the pastor starts singing and walking up and down the aisles. I won't do that to you, but it's fine. It's great because I talked to Pastor West and we recognize that we both have been saved by grace. And we both want to see everybody else who's lost and broken be saved by the same grace and the same good news. Sometimes we even encounter these, these differences in our own families, don't we? I have a brother, I have one brother. And interestingly enough, we've had very different paths in life. And yet he finds himself as a pastor as well huh. in Louisiana. And his church is very different. I think he's one of 35 pastors on staff. It's very different, and so we have very interesting discussions about what's going on and how their church is. As you know, we have two pastors on staff here, and that's it. And the light bulb gets changed. You know who did it. It wasn't the staff. Well, it was me. And that's fine, and we do things differently, and their church has some different views on some different things, but they hold to the gospel. And so I can be united, even within my own family, if somebody, my brother, who is a pastor and involved in a church is very different from ours. And so I think there's a point there we cooperate with and support others who proclaim the gospel externally, but I think we also have to cooperate and support others who proclaim the gospel internally. Amen? Amen. It's so easy, it's so easy for us. I think that's one of the challenges we have in America in this culture. Saying, I don't like that. I hear that from my kids a lot. I don't like that. It's really easy, isn't it? You could sit in here and maybe you're sitting there saying, Greg guy, the way he teaches, I don't like that. And that's okay. It's okay. But can you live with it? Because the gospels is going for it. Because that's what we're, have to, we're supposed to be united in, is the gospel. Can you live with it? You could say, ah, oh, music style is not what I like. Man, thank you guys. It's great. I love it. And we're, you guys, we're on a path as a church and we're growing. And if you're new and you're checking things out or you're trying to get with us, just, we're on a journey with our music. We're on a journey with the teaching. I just confess to you, like, even this week, everyone was telling me about, hey, you could do this better, you could do that better. And I, which appreciate it. It was just, we have growth to do as a church. I know David and Jeremy say, we got growth to do as a music. We've got growth in our studies. We've got all these things to grow in. One thing we're not going to do is we're not going to water down the gospel. We're not going to add to the gospel. We're not going to make the music the gospel. You might not like the way our church has a, a leadership structure. You might not like the schedules that we keep and hold. But can you just unite with us? I encourage you to do that because I think God is at work here. Guys, I just, I, I really think God has something big for the Firehouse Church in Highlands on the corner of 33rd and Tehom. Someone who I respect a lot this week said to me, he said, you know what? I think you could have triple the number of people sitting in your seats within a couple of years. And I think it's true because of where God has placed us, not because I'm some special guy or 
You guys are, I mean, you guys are special people, but not because you're so special people. You guys are all special to me, I promise. But I think this God isn't working because the good news is the thing that changes people's lives. God's given that to us, and we're not losing the doctrine of sin to be friendly, and we're not losing the doctrine of hell, and we're not adding baptism or membership or trying to be elites or underdaft or overdaft. We're just trying to feel our way out into this. We have such an opportunity here, guys. I just, if I could communicate anything, it would be please just, just join with us. Be disciples. Be flexible. Hold on to the gospel. Learn this stuff. Learn the three, the circles, how to communicate to that to people. Because I think God has intended the gospel to unite us as a church. And in that unity, he's going to draw other people in. He's going to draw others to us. He's going to give us, as a church, I think we have a real unique opportunity to be united with other churches that God is using right here in Denver. And so I'm just trusting that God's God's going to allow us to really carry the gospel and proclaim it to others and give us an opportunity. and, And that's just my heart. And so that's my question to you is, will you let him lead you into that and join with us? That's really my heart in this passage. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the good news. Above all, God, that you saw fit to reconcile me, the worst of sinners. And that reconciliation is not because of what I do or have done, good I want to do. I thank you for how you even laid that on my heart as a, as a young man. That the good I could do was from your grace. It was your grace working through me. God, we just keep repeating the gospel. We keep talking about it, but it's because it's so important because we have to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. Every day, lest we veer off one way or another. God, help us in that. Help me in that, God. Help us as a church, God. I think, man, I'm so convinced you've planted us right here, God. And I, I know it. it's not for, for my good or my glory or anyone else's glory. It's for your glory. And so it's so that people will be reconciled and come into your family receive the free gift of eternal life by believing Jesus. God, help us as a church. Help us to walk down that path. Help us to hold fast to the gospel. Help us to live a new gospel life together. God, thank you for the season. Thank you for the fall. This is a time of thanksgiving, time of remembering how you sent your son to die for us. God, we want to hold, hold fast to your good news as we go through the season. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.